It's sort of one of those books that's kind of in in popular consciousness. It's a straightforward <laughs> story. Manga's out to get a fish, gets a fish, gets back without a full fish. <laughs> in summary, it sort of sounds like Bruce Willis goes fishing, you know what I mean? Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. This is the first ever episode we're doing and it's uh, going to be a series looking at different books and uh, just it's not so much a review is it it's more of just breaking it down going page by page joining me is Dave who is going to be sort of co-piloting this I am your co-pilot yeah. that means I do the work while Matt sleeps exactly and uh, so the first book we're doing is The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway Dave opening Bits of information about it. What do you know about the book? When have you first actually come across it? Um, I don't know. It's sort of one of those books that's kind of in, in popular consciousness. I think a lot of American TV shows kind of refer to it. It's one of those sort of real set classic texts, which means that tragically it's one of those books that if you do read it, it's usually because you've been told to. Yeah. Um, well, kind of one of the ones it's quite easy to sort of skip over. Yeah, there are a lot of people read it at A level or GCSE. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and I think that's a real shame because it's got something quite like yeah, I really, I really like a lot of things about it, which I'm you know will will become clear as we talk about it. But really, I think I don't know. I, I think it's a good one to start with. A little bit of background: written 1951 in Cuba, where it's set. Um, it was actually Ernest Hemingway's last work. It was. That. Um, you knew that. I did know that. That's disappointing. And uh, <laughs> it, it won the it won, the, won the Perlitzer Prize, nineteen fifty three. It did. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature, nineteen fifty four. No, anyway, that's my other research. And it, this, is, this is the well done, Matt. You may have an A. Well, this is the the, the interesting thing though. Guess who who won it the year before him? Nobel Prize for Literature. Oh, in nineteen fifty three. Hang yeah. on, let me call up my encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge. Of I've, I've no idea who right. won it. Let me give you a clue. It was a politician. Was it Winston Churchill? It was. <laughs> for that um, uh, history. Oh yeah, it was. He basically lost his job as prime minister and then went right. I'm going to write the history so you all think I'm a hero and mm. sat down and wrote wrote his famous four volume history of the Second World War. Mm. That would be it, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't I think you wrote like sort of chiclet on the side. <laughs> <laughs> what a bit of chiclet it would have been. Oh, it would have been. Right. Well, let's move on to the summary and um, go through. Well, this is basically going to just run through exactly where the book goes, start to finish, yeah. and uh, pick out bits and pieces that we like. So it starts off, uh, and we meet the the key man in the book, Santiago, who's. Um, He's a, a, the old man in the title, the old man in the sea, and he's gone 84 days without catching a fish. Mm. And he's now been labelled Salau. Um, is that Salau? Salau, I, yeah. from my encyclopedic knowledge, again, yeah. of Spanish, yes. Uh, and it's uh, that basically means the worst form of unlucky, so he's, uh, people are basically thinking he's never going to catch anything again. Yeah. And we meet his... The, the first part of the book is really uh, interaction between him and and his apprentice, yeah. uh, Manolin. And uh, this is a, is a young young lad. He's... Well, well, this is a thing actually. He's not really his apprentice anymore. Right. He's he's this sort of he's this young kid who clearly loves this old fellow, and has has gone out with him in the past, like since he was a young boy. But yeah. several weeks ago, into this kind of eighty four day wait, uh, his parents have gone. That old fellow's no good for you. He's extremely unlucky, you know. And it is it's sort of you know kind of poverty line living. So. If you believe in that sort of luck, you want to get your kid away from that as quickly as possible so you can carry on catching fish. So the kid's kind of sort almost sort of sneaking around to help out 
Santiago. Um, yeah, and it, so it's quite touching actually at the beginning, especially. Yeah, you know. and you feel that all the way through. Actually, not wanting to spoil later on, but you, you do feel this sort of uh, this bond between the two, and this he's obviously been removed under duress, Manuel, and he, he yeah, would rather yeah. be in the boat with him, yeah. going out every yeah. day still, and he still believes in this old guy. Yeah, uh, they have a bit of a. A shared interest in baseball as well. Which is, <laughs> which is quite... I do love that. I, I think that's. I think that's really just this idea of back in the day where it was, you know, it was transistor radios and Cuba's quite an isolated place at that point, you know, and 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 it's like, it's almost like we have heard about their myth, you know, these these mm. tigers of Cleveland, these. I've probably got that wrong. I don't know where the tigers are from Cleveland. I have no idea, but. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, there is a, and, and it's just a, I suppose, it sets the scene of it quite nicely as well and drags you into that sort of world, doesn't yeah. it? And um, I mean, I, to be, I'm going to be completely honest, when I first started reading it, uh, the f first ever time I read it a few years ago, uh, I didn't get the fact that it was from Cuba, it was, it was selling it from Cuba. Oh, really? No. <laughs> I just thought I somewhat, I think it's because I'd read Moby Dick recently and I yeah. thought, oh, it's probably in that area. It's <laughs> probably got his, you know, his Cape Cod house. That's where he's living. <laughs> uh, you know. so, so in your brain, did he have like a broad Boston accent sort of? But he, he was definitely an old sort of American guy. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. I think it's because right. it was, yeah. And American the Spanish author. didn't tip you at all? No, I just thought, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You have an interest in baseball, Dave. So that says Americans. <laughs> clearly, clearly Americans. Yeah. Anyway, the the next thing I've picked out before he before he heads out, he downs this where the name of our podcast comes from. Uh, he always drinks this cup of shark liver oil. Yeah, every day, which sounds badass, doesn't it? It is a bit. It's sort of like I don't drink the blood of my enemy. I drink the oil of his liver. Yeah, and and none of the other sailors go near it. It's just, it's just him. It's just this one badass old dude yeah. in the corner with his cup of shark liver oil, <laughs> which is disgusting, and everybody else won't go near it. But he downs it like a yeah. like a boss. Like a boss. Day. He's on it like a boss. <laughs> but that's the interesting thing, though, is that Santiago isn't this sort of kind of grizzled kind of Hulk Hogan plus another forty years, if that can be imagined. Like he's not that sort of like. <clears throat> Yeah. He, he, see, he comes off throughout the book as this really sort of quite in fact I think one of the, one of the most amazing things about the book is, is this sort of he's quite matter of fact about this astonishing thing that he's that he kind of ends up doing and he's not at all self-important quite humble mm. um, but at the same time he is a man who drinks shark for breakfast you know and he just does it for this very kind of practically you know it's good against you know keeps my joints loose and stuff and it's like it's like kind of sort of your grandma's kind of wisdom like turned up to 11 you know what i mean like it's not you don't just need loose joints to go walk into the shops you need loose joints because i'm i'm about to go out and perform feats of superhuman fishing which yeah. we'll hear about so he sets off into uh, so we through his desperation he goes out further than most other uh, sailors would even dare to go we find out later on and I mean, does this speak more about his the point he's at in terms of his desperation to to get a fish, or his ability um, as this grizzled old uh, seaman? I I sort of um, I definitely got. I really thought it was more about him, like his epic confidence in himself. Yeah. Not in that kind of cocky, like yeah, bring on the world sort of way. Like he's all the way through the book, he seems to he's very conscious of the power of the fish. 
and he's very conscious about respecting the sea and kind of you know he he's clearly very aware that he could be snuffed out in an instant by this and maybe that's what's happening on this 85th day maybe he's going to die mm. um but he still goes out further and he's like because it's the hurricane months is the reason that nobody else goes out that far he's like but then he's like you can see when there's a hurricane coming in for four days no problem <laughs> and it's this sort of like this really sort of matter of fact epic confidence in himself he eventually gets his reward if he move forward a bit unless there's anything else you want to say no, before no, no, he gets to the fish so he 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 catches a big one basically he, t- he spends two days being dragged <laughs> along by this beast of a fish yeah, yeah. and he, it's interesting what you say that he does have this uh, the, the dynamic between him and the fish now he, he's quite respectful and has a lot of uh, well he, he almost he has a lot of love for the fish doesn't he yeah he's, the, the, he, he kind of calls, calls yeah. him brother and he's kind of like yeah I the, wish I didn't have to kill you but I will kill you yeah it's a line he says several times and it's a, I think it's a it's something that you, you read in a lot of um, literature about like great hunters in Africa and things like that as well mm. of a of an appreciation and a, and a love for what they're actually hunting and a, a yeah. respect there, which, I mean, it's a very romantic way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, really, because at the end of the day, you are still shooting something in the heart, so yeah. it's dead, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And I suppose in this kind of case, there's, there's more to it, you know, it's about sustenance and it's about kind of, you know, mm. him wanting to live and wanting to kind of make a living instead of just like, no, it was an elephant. I shot it in the bloody face. Yeah. And then I had 19 guys that I pay two cents a week to drag it home for me and claim it as my prize. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which, incidentally, is much more the sort of hunting that Hemingway was famous for in yeah. Africa. So, so Santiago finally gets out of this fish. Yeah. Pulls it up and basically harpoons its ass. <laughs> It's heart, Matthew. It's heart straight into its heart, <laughs> and um, and kills it stone dead. Yeah, but this is only part of. This. I mean, it's such a big fish that he, he can't get it in the boat. Can yeah. he? Because yeah, he says he says it's two foot longer than his boat. Yeah, and his boat's like whatever, like like sixteen foot long. Like it's, it's just this unimaginably enormous. Yeah, it's fish. an absolute monster. Yeah, a swordfish as well, I think. Yeah, so he. What's the actual proper name for it? Is it Mar- a marlin spike? A marlin spike. A marlin spike. Yeah. The problem is, the problem is, got now. He's got this enormous fish. He can't get it in the boat, which would be the first thing you'd want to do. Yeah. So he has this massive eighteen-foot-long fish. He's lashing it to the side of his boat, mm. and when you have uh, an eighteen-foot-long carcass in the water, it's going to attract attention. Yeah. And the first thing that shows up is a is a mako shark. Yeah. It's one big shark. Yeah. And he manages to fend this one off. And I, I, I love this because it's this sort of... In summary, it sort of sounds like Bruce Willis goes fishing. You know what mm. I mean? Like it's that kind of unimaginable badass kind of, you know, wise wise quip and stuff. But it's... The way it's written is much more sort of elegant and much more sort of mm. relentless in a way. It's not about these kind of moments. And then I stabbed the shark through the face. It's much more this sort of like this old guy who has been dragged across the Caribbean by this fish attached to his boat by a cord as thick as a pencil wrapped across his shoulders, right? Who's had half a raw fish to eat for the last 90 whatever hours. Hmm. Then fights a shark. Yeah. And it's like, like, 
just because that's what he does because it's either that or not bringing in the fish and he needs to yeah. bring in the fish yeah it's very matter of fact you know yeah. it's not grandstanding yeah and i think it's it's an, it's an important point that none of these achievements are are easy in a bruce willis style <laughs> are they are a rambo style it yeah. is every single thing is it's more to do with just his sheer determination which is which is allowing him to reach these feats and accomplish yeah. these yeah. seemingly impossible tasks like catching a, a fish that's two foot bigger than his boat or fighting off an enormous shark as yeah, it tries yeah. to eat it well and, and it's and it's that sort of real estate you generally don't get mm. in in most pieces of writing i find quite out or films or whatever it is quite like most narratives because yeah. it's as a writer i suspect it's just far too tempting to go for the you you encounter a really dramatic moment yeah. a man killing a shark using a stick and you just pile everything onto that and it becomes a climax Instead of what Hemingway seems to be trying to do is just sort of, he's not really, he, he doesn't really care about the fact that a shark is a terribly dramatic beast. He's just sort of like, and the man killed the shark because the man had to. So he, he does fend off the shark, but it does do some pretty important damage. Which he, it tears a bit of the, a, a, a big good chunk of the fish away, which means... The, the the without wanting to get too disgusted in the carcasses they're bleeding into the water which yeah. means it's attracting more and he just he just gets set up on my shark, on the shark <laughs> now. Yeah. and yeah. um all 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 these sharks mates join him and it gets terribly <laughs> unfair admittedly <laughs> that is the bit that is the bit where like the plot does become a bit more kind of i've killed this one uber zombie now there's 15 zombies yeah. at the front door so it does get a bit more and um, it's really it, it, it's really sad to see um yeah, him him, yeah. him lose this battle really isn't it yeah um after coming so far and doing so well uh, well i don't know do you think he loses it because i i saw i sort of feel like he's won the battle against the fish the battle the battle against the fish was killing the fish you yeah. know what i mean that's what he says he's at sort of out to do yeah and then and then he then loses the battle to bring it into land um because all the sharks kind of set upon it but I sort of I, I feel a bit like that is a different battle. That's a battle for the kudos. That's a battle for the glory. And there's uh, perhaps there's perhaps perhaps I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it. But perhaps Hemingway's trying to draw a distinction between the glory of the act and the glory of the applause. Yeah. If you see what I mean. You see, I th I still think he gets the applause by just having the carcass come back as a skeleton. Yes, that's I true. I think the the, yeah. the the issue is I, I think you, you draw an, well, yeah you draw an interesting distinction between. Um, just the achievement for the achievement's own sake, which yeah. is successful, and he's caught a massive fish. But why yeah. does he want to do it? It's because he can get it back to land to yeah. to, to sell to feed himself. The whole yeah. point of him going out there. Yeah. So, sort of in terms of the bigger picture, in terms of what he wants to do, yeah. as he sets out, he fails because he doesn't bring it back. He doesn't bring back anything that can really feed him. Yeah. But in terms of actually achieving something, he does make an enormous achievement, and he does manage to get evidence of impact yeah. to get the kind of glory and adulation. That's true. I suppose at the end of it, he's no longer Salau. No. Clearly, because he's just wrestled a ship, uh, a fish the size of his house. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, although he's... Um, the the young lad at the end is, is kind of like, well, balls to what mum and dad think, I'm going to come out with you anyway. But it, there isn't a sense... I didn't get a sense of everybody, you know, this th these parents uh, are turned around and they've thought now... Oh, he's he's not unlucky anymore. I I think there's still a tension between the young guy and his mum and dad, but he's just finally decided, after seeing the the struggle that yeah. that that is that is the old man's gone through, he now thinks, well, 
I'm going to be with him next time, no matter what. Mm. That's quite interesting. I hadn't thought of that, and I, and I think you're right, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not again. It's not a Hollywood ending uh, of kind of everybody. You know, this, this sort of you know the begrudging slow hand clap starts as he crawls up the beach with the skeleton yeah. of this enormous marlin spike yeah. over his shoulders. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it's it's not that it's not it's not the end of Cool Runnings. Mm. it's it's yeah it is much more again it's much more sort of simple and sort of stripped back and stark in a way i suppose yeah and at the end after so many sharks of, of attacks the i think the line that kind of sums it up and it's so depressing um there was nothing more for them to eat yeah and it's sort of yeah <laughs> it's like it's over <laughs> it's yeah it's oh. uh it, not only is it over it's uh it's a 10 nil thrash into the sharks. There's, there's nothing left. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there's no semblance yeah. of. There's nothing else you can take from it, really. Yeah. There's a bit towards the end. And it's the final, almost like mini scene within a scene. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, a couple of tourists are wandering down the beach. Hmm. And they see this massive skeleton. And uh, one of the tourists says, uh, you know, says, What's that? And the waiter says, uh, tiburon or uh, basically what what means a shark yeah and and the tourist says oh i didn't know sharks had such handsome beautifully formed tails and the male companion says i didn't either and it's just these two tourists don't get it they, don't, they have no yeah. don't get it I mean, to be yeah. honest they've not been helped out because the waiters said it's <laughs> a shark but but he's trying to explain what's happened rather than what it is yeah. and and the tourists just take it as a literal meaning um, mm. I don't know. Do you any thoughts on that? Well, there is something interesting in that, isn't there? Is this idea of, again, I mean, and it, and it is, it is quite romanticised. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm keen not to kind of buy it <laughs> hook, line, and sinker, so to speak. But, um, but you can definitely see there, can't you? The tourists at one end of a sliding scale of understanding of and respect for the natural world, and kind of you know, the achievements involved in man surviving in the natural world. Um, and, you know, um, Santiago at the other end of it, just like understanding instinctively and uh, with, a, with a kind of incredible single-mindedness of purpose what it takes to, to, to fish and to survive. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that sort of sums up the book. And the next bit, that we're going to do is we're going to talk about a couple of themes that we've brought out from it, a yeah. couple of the big things that run through it, because it's such a, it's so much has been said about it before that it's yeah. it's worth going over a couple of things again. Um, do you want to just kick us off with with one of your ideas? Yeah, it? yeah. Well, I thought one of the obviously you've got this enormous this enormous idea of kind of endurance and pride and earning achievement and honor and nobility and all words which were very sort of. Um, seem quite alien to us these days we don't really feel the need to justify ourselves or our actions or write stories that are about justifying somebody's actions against an external standard so you think that's what santiago is is driven to even more so than the practicalities of bringing a fish in and actually feeding himself he wants to prove something even at his age well, I think no. I think he's an idealized representation of the fact that Hemingway wanted to prove something. Right. Like, so he's an idealized representation of this idea of like um, nobility through endeavor. Mm-hmm. I suppose 
Yeah, which is really interesting when you kind of look at Hemingway's past as a, he was in Paris during the First World War mm. and, and was extremely cynical about um, yeah, his whole kind of style of writing. He was extremely cynical about people who kind of wrote um, flowery monologues to justify, you know, and kind of create heroes. Yeah. Um, but he still clearly, clearly really believed in the idea of the hero yeah. and, and wanted to create one and made him an, made him an elderly guy in Cuba. Right, what you know, I suppose. Yeah, I mean that that um, opposition to long flowery sentences as well. I mean that comes across in the book, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's very very. I mean, I've seen two takes on it. Some people like it. Some people think it's it's too, um, too short and to the point. And uh, I mean, I have, there's a, a review we'll come to later where um, it's very critical of the style. Mm. And um, I don't know. What, what do you? What did, what did, did you? Because I think I, I assume if you're if you're doing it for A level. Yeah. You know, you might welcome the fact that it's to, you know, it's to the point. It's not hard to see <laughs> what's going God on. Thank God there's only one clause in this yeah. sentence. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a straightforward <laughs> story. Mangas out to get a fish, gets a fish, gets back without a full fish. <laughs> and, you should have just said that at the start of the podcast, man. That would have been much better. And, um, <laughs> and, and it's told in a relatively straightforward way. Yeah. Uh, but there's something about it that's also quite magical. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Do, do you agree with that? Do you think it is something? There is something there that lifts it. And if that's the case, then what is it? Because it isn't the it isn't the language particularly, and it isn't the intricacy of the story. So what is it? I think it's. Um, I think to be honest with you, it's single mindedness. Like he knows what he wants to write about, and he's you know this is this is a book six foot four and not an ounce of fat. Yeah. Like it's got it's got nothing on it you know it's like he's looked at every single word and seen how it serves what he wants to put across mm -hmm. and cannot be having with the kind of sort of zeroing in on the point which you feel many writers do and which which you know a, a good editor is there to prevent a writer from doing that you know yeah so i think we, we've touched on this this idea of of how you know, a, a struggle and the and the achievement for a, an achievement's own end. Mm. There's a, an idea which, uh, or I don't know what you think about it, of of how this story mirrors just the, an ordinary life or um, anybody's oh. life. So it's Ooh, the, we, we we yeah. So we yeah, str yeah, yeah. struggle for um, big achievements in our lives, yeah. and you get them through just sheer willpower and persistence yeah. and what you actually aim for even yeah. if you achieve it sometimes the the rewards and the implications aren't what you would have, have hoped for that is an excellent reading of it and i hadn't thought of that i think there's definitely mileage in that um although like i'm uh, you know i think there's it's a bit it may be a bit disingenuous for either of us to kind of say that we know that that's definitely true because if we're anywhere we're still at the stage where we're like right Give me a cup of shark liver oil and show me to the ocean. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really like it that because I think it's I think it shoehorns. Yeah. Um, it kind of shoehorns a theme into it. Yeah. Because there are so many other. It, it's it, I just think th those kind of readings are so broad. Yeah. Because, um, there are so many other things that achievements that people achieve in life, yeah. which which are great and they yeah. do see the fruits of it and, the. Uh, the, I think one of the readings that I saw was that no matter what you achieve, when you bring it back, it's just the bones of sort of your memories, and nothing else goes on. Which, which is a, it's a it's a nice reading oh, of it, but yeah. but I I think that you know there are achievements that people um 
that people make in in their lives and they, they do have real um yeah. lasting legacies as yeah, well yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, I, mean, I suppose it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice reading. I suppose, it? I mean, it's nice enough and I, you know, I don't want to sort of, I don't want to do that down if somebody's seen that in it, then, then fair enough. But I do think that there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a sense in which you've got to beware of literature or at least you've got to be, beware of literary criticism, you know, the kind of, because if you're not careful, it is a magnificent exercise in navel gazing and you can just make it whatever you like around it. Um, speaking of literary criticism, mm-hmm. I've uh, scoured the internet for the finest in literary. <laughs> so it's unnamed internet sources. <laughs> um, but I'm looking and, forward uh, to this. There's some. Well, I mean, I'd say in general we're looking at four to five stars. Most people are very impressed with uh, with Hemingway's The Old Man. So you're not surprised. <laughs> it's a classic. He's got a future in this business. This, he has. this this Ernst Hemingway kid. So let, let's start with a, a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, five stars from Stephen, and he said, "He, I mean, ah, he, Stephen, he gave it five stars because he read it in Napa while celebrating his fortieth birthday." <laughs> so I'm not sure. That's I mean, magnificent. <laughs> I was like, I've, I've got to be honest with you. I thought the book was crap, but it was given to me by my wife, and I love her to pieces. <laughs> so I've got to give it five out of five, haven't I? Really? Well, <laughs> for all the literary merits. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think if you're reading it on a on a you know on a terrace or by the pool in Napa yeah, that's true um, I think you could be reading almost anything and you'll like it But so maybe that's not the most no, no, no but at the same time actually I think there is something in that which we haven't touched on yet in the book is, is this beautiful actually evocation of the depth of the blue in the sea and the sky and mm. the land and you know the colour of the fish and yeah. and these very kind of like I can definitely imagine how sitting anywhere close to anything that could you could you could vaguely connect to that sort of an environment would help you to really really love it mm. you know the smell of the smell of the sea is in your nostrils and you know and I, I'm reading this in London <laughs> you know what I mean yeah it is it is very good at evoking those yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. those true. kind of feelings so um, I'm sorry Stephen from Napa I shouldn't have mocked you but... I don't think he's from that I think he was just in that I oh, think sorry. and I, I do I've got to admit I love reading a book tied to the place where i'm going if i that's when i go true. on holiday somewhere i love to pick a, a book which yeah. is set in that kind of place yeah. it does add something to it so yeah. I, I know where he's coming from there yeah. um rick is another five starer and he was the guy who i uh, nicked this from where he, he he was talking about the ambitions and the compl- uh, accomplishments which the um, alan spike represents the fish yeah. represents and the fact that by the time you get it back to sc- to shore all you've got is this skeleton of memory so going through a difficult time rick perhaps but, but po- <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah um and I'll, here's an, another another five star one which is quite good is uh russ and he said he loved it mm. his recommendation was Read this one out loud if you can, which is it's, it's a good point. Um, it's, it's a, yeah, it rolls yeah. nicely off the tongue. Yeah. Um, he says, read it out loud if you can to yourself or to someone you love, even if that someone is a naked two-year-old baby sleeping on your chest. That's moved moved it a bit further along for me. I mean, <laughs> you'll be glad that you did. I mean, I don't have a naked two-year-old baby to stick on my chest and read to, but I did read it out loud, and I, and I do see where he's coming from. Um, yeah. But he, he, I mean. Rush your caution to a very specific audience. <laughs> Listen, if the baby's two and a half, yeah, no chance. Should we move on to some one stars? Some people just <laughs> giving this a one star review. Listen, Dave, it's not a case of everybody loving it. 
it's you know books no matter how good they are have the detractors <laughs> right. and they are, have no problem in going on the internet and let, letting the late Ernest Hemingway <laughs> know exactly where they stand it's, on it it's interesting really isn't it because usually the internet's a forum for such considered debate and, and respectful prose but anyway carry yeah. on um, so Jessica said I was very surprised when I decided to read this and realised it bored the living crap out of me <laughs> quite uncompromising that is quite does she say why or just no she just just bored her she was bored not enough Um, explosion sarah begins her review oh my good lord in heaven which means it's either going to be extraordinarily (laughs) good or extraordinarily bad (laughs) there's no middle grade when you start a review with oh my good lord in heaven oh my good lord in heaven it was all right yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just need to emphasize how middling it was um she this she doesn't like the the theme of you that you're only a real man if you've done something epic oh, uh, I suppose that's interesting. and her take on it is quotes get over it already go home and clean out the refrigerator or clean the curtains or hoover under the furniture <laughs> that would impress me <laughs> thoughts now i've now this is difficult territory because uh uh a uh popular um a common uh criticism of Ernest Hemingway uh which probably has a great deal of mileage in it to be honest is is you know that he was just a sort of a drinking a drinking womanizer who Mm. shot precious animals for fun and that's true and I think there's definitely been a criticism across most of his work I understand that um is is you know that he really doesn't write credible female characters and and that kind of in that lurks some kind of misogyny yeah i, th- I think moaning about the the choice of achievement is a bit is a bit much as well i i mean let's I, she did, i'm sure she didn't mean it literally but let's take it literally anyway because she's not here um, <laughs> but i mean if the book was about him trying to clean a refrigerator and by the end it stinks anyway yeah it wouldn't have been nearly as good and he wouldn't have won the you know, you wouldn't have won all those prizes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. It wouldn't be a Pulitzer well, Prize winning author well, if it was actually, about cleaning a fridge. It's, it's interesting because there is a poet whose name escapes me, so this is really irritating. That um, Seamus Heaney wrote wrote about um, uh, a line of hers. You know, I will tell. I was. I I will tell of how the shirts crumple in the bottom. Like you can find poetry and you can find literature and you can talk about human experience you know using using domestic domestic kind of whatever like i don't really see that there's a meaningful distinction between wrestling a fish and doing the washing up to that extent you know what i mean like it doesn't like what matters is the character you bring to it and what you kind of draw out through it Mm. um uh so there's definitely yeah i don't know i think that's a bit i think it's a bit disingenuous really you might as well say of a really fat you might as well say of inception listen i'm sorry but where were the costumes this is nothing like a jane austen novel yeah. of course it's not a jane austen he's not trying to be a jane austen novel i think you have to a certain extent you have to allow a work of art to be what it's trying to be yeah yeah maybe, maybe there's just a they're just coming from two different areas and I, and I they're would, never going to think get... that was clear she doesn't sound much like a cuban fisherman to me no but sarah, sarah and ernest are never going to get on <laughs> And Alas, because it could have been beautiful. I wouldn't recommend any of his other works to you, Sarah. Um, I wouldn't recommend The Snows of Kilimanjaro because <laughs> there's, there's no refrigerators in that. Uh, 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't, rec- I wouldn't recommend. Um, what was it? Men without women because there are because. definitely no refrigerators in that. So yeah. uh, it sounds a little chauvinistic, that. But yeah. I'm being facetious on purpose, obviously. Um, <laughs> Michelle says, um, "I was ready to sell my soul for a multisyllabic word or a complex sentence." Not a fan of the writing style, Michelle. What do you think about that? I think that's fair. I, I mean, I, I definitely think there are things you cannot do with simple language which are worth doing. Like, I think you can do a lot of really beautiful things with... I mean, you know, it's kind of like... A good example would be that uh, there are certain things you can't do in music if you are Meg White. This is true. Like, the White Stripes only scratch a, a certain kind of itch, hmm. but they do it fantastically. But actually, the beats that Meg White lays down are basically the same as a sort of balding, half-cut pub band drummer who only finds the snare one time out of three do you know mm. what i mean like so i i i accept that one could say that simplistic drumming or simplistic writing denies you an awful lot of complexity and an awful lot of enjoyment but to say that that makes it necessarily bad i think is a little bit yeah i don't buy that i I, I wonder you. if she was if she would be that upset about it if it wasn't seen as a classic i think people who people who are uh, who have a problem with uh, how co- how there's a lack of complexity in the writing have more of a problem with the fact that it, it it's held up as this great <laughs> example of literature rather than the fact that it's a you know it's an okay read yeah like like if uh is that is that sort of same mindset which would be really really offended if if as they do in like norway members of the royal family were just to be found in their local pub there's a sense of this isn't appropriate to your station yeah. you know this is if you're a classic you better damn well contain some difficult words otherwise what the hell am i feeling inferior for yeah you know what i mean like yeah. you know that sense of wanting to read something that's palpably difficult in order to feel like you've done something intelligent i think is is a bit sad really final review uh, for final one star review i've got a, another one which i'd probably like to wrap up with you know, right. which is a good one but uh, this is a this is a fairly straight to the point one star review i'd imagine it's a guy who's doing it for a level um, yeah. because he sounds like he's about 15. <laughs> M- matt definitely no relation says <laughs> worst book ever just throw the fucking fish back in fuck <laughs> Nice use of expletives there, Matt. That's, I, I like. It's it's quite a. I mean, we should find this guy and get him on as a guest. Because I, I think it'd be magnificent. I gotta say, I think Hemingway would be proud of that sentence. It's to the point, it's not. It's, it's got no fat in it at all. The Absolutely. extra fuck is definitely warranted at the end, and it sums up his emotions perfectly. So well done, Matt. Well, um, well, well done. Yeah. Well done. Well done indeed. Sorry, can you read that again? I just want to bask a little bit more in its glory. Okay. Matt, congratulations. You're the first reviewer ever to to get a double read on Shark Liver Oil. Matt says, of Ernest Hemingway's classic, The Old Man in the Sea, taught in classrooms throughout the land, <laughs> internationally renowned, Pulitzer Prize winning. Matt's review is... Worst book ever. Just throw the fucking fish back in. Fuck. I'm going to try and track down Matt's reviews of other books in the future because he's... Yeah, I that's think that, brilliant. that's magnificent. Um, Dave, you any final thoughts about the book before we uh, wrap up? 
Oh, I think, I, well, as you can tell, I, I really enjoyed the thing, and I think I think I would I would uh, I would argue against the tax brought on it, but um, I think it's it only does a certain thing, and I think um, we'd be poor if all writing in the world was like this, but then no writing in the world could be like this because he's at this perfect, really simple pitch of, of simplicity and elegance, hmm. which I deeply admire and I sort of want to learn how to do that and I imagine I could write for the next 60 years of my life and not get anywhere close to it uh, it's, uh, it deserves to be called a masterpiece all the more so because it doesn't try and buy masterpiece status with you know sort of self-involved and self-important plot lines, characters, themes or ideas hmm. you know what I mean yeah well that's pretty much all we're going to do I, I think we'll put this out to, to you guys as well if, if you've got any thoughts on um, on the old man in the sea, or on what we've said about it? Any criticisms or uh, anything you want to to add to it? Do get in touch, um, and and uh, we'll see we'll see what we get back. But um, if we get a couple of comments back, maybe we'll do a, a short mini extra podcast, which we'll put up a bit later on, which will just yeah. be us going yeah. over some of the some of the feedback that we've got. But I think the final. The final words I'll leave to another reviewer, and it's Alex. And it's quite a nice summary of it. And um, he was a big fan. And he said, if you like epic man stories, this is for you. If you like clean conscience writing, this is for you. If you like to deeply analyse things, get angry at old people fish in the sea, this is not for you. (laughs) Although, if you like shark clubbing, this book is highly recommended. (laughs) Thank you very much, Alex. And uh, thanks for listening. This has been... Shark Live Royal. See you next time. There it is.